Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Presented by T-Mobile, the official wireless partner of Odyssey Sports. With an awesome network and great savings, there's never been a better time to join T-Mobile. Visit your neighborhood store to make the switch today. one of the biggest sporting events in the world. And today, we're giving you an inside look at the teams and playoff pictures to date. As we present Atlanta Soccer Tonight. It's okay now. The goalkeeper's beaten, and South Africa has their first goal. Listen as Jason Longshore gives you all the latest in the world of soccer. As we break down the matchups and get you insights you can only find here. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is on. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Here's Jason Longshore. Let's kick it. Atlanta Soccer Tonight is live on 92.9, The Game, and the Odyssey app. Thanks for being Night Owls with us. I'm Jason Longshore alongside Jessica Charman. And Jess, we've got a big slate of games to preview, along with talking about a big win for Ecuador. We have indeed. It's going to be a really exciting day tomorrow, but I don't think we should skip over the fact that the World Cup started today and it was Ecuador impressing us. We thought they were going to be the young guns. We thought they were going to be a real competitor in this group, but I really think that they lived up and even exceeded expectations in the way they came to play today, Jason. Yeah, let's start with this opening game. The match kickoff kind of epitomized the whole start of the World Cup in 2022. It wasn't even timed correctly. The stadium announcers doing the countdown. Referee blows the whistle at like four. It's like, let's go. Come on, let's start. I think it showed um, how he felt about the announcer. He did not care whether it was second four in the in the countdown. He was ready to go. And, you know, like you say, awkward. Jason, I think it was the cherry on the top of the way the off-the-pitch things have taken place during the tournament. Nothing was ready on time, whether it's off the pitch, whether it's on the pitch, whether it's the host nation on the pitch. It was a bad start for Qatar. I thought the goalkeeper, Saad Al-Sheib, was horrendous in the first 15 minutes. Now, there was a goal that was called back, and it was really hard to follow from the broadcast. It was a tricky decision. They got it right. They They ultimately got it right but it shows the complications with var and broadcast because what we didn't know for about five minutes who they were looking at that was offside and you couldn't tell from the live angle because the player was obscured by i think the goalkeeper and another attacker so they got the call right which is the good thing i just wish they had gotten the communication of the call better yeah, I think it's to do with the explanation and also getting it through to the media. You know, I think that we've got used to being able to tell what they're looking at, the player they're looking at when we've seen calls maybe at the domestic level and there wasn't that level of communication, which made it very confusing. The angle wasn't there. I think it's a very rare offside call. We're not going to see one like that very often because it was a nervous goalkeeper coming yeah. out for a ball that he had absolutely no right to claim that then threw the whack in the offside rule because he's not even the last defender anymore. So uh, I think it's really important you point out how the goalkeeper did because I think 
a lot of the times when we look at a nervous goalkeeper, that then feeds through the team. And that's the way I feel like it went with Qatar. They saw their goalkeeper come out to no man's land. They saw him shaky. They saw that he wasn't feeling ready to play. And then immediately your defensive line has no trust. And then your midfield is worried. And then your big stars up top have no service. And I feel like it looked like from front to back, this entire team couldn't handle the pressure. And for a team that's had 10 years to prepare, maybe it all came a little too fast almost and they weren't ready for the big stage. This is a different stage than playing in the CONCACAF Gold Cup as a guest nation. It's a different stage than playing as the the ghost team in UEFA qualifying or, you know, in the Copa America. It was a completely different stage. And that shaky start, I think you started to get that shaky feeling in the crowd as well. And this is a goalkeeper, Saad Al-Sheib, who has 80 caps. You know, it's not like they shocked everybody by playing a different goalkeeper and he struggled. No, this is one of their regular guys. And he had a horrible start. Moises Caicedo got things started officially on the board with a goal that stood. It was a great ball. So this is the second goal. Let's go back to the first goal. The Michael Estrada pass. Michael Estrada came to DC United on loan first half of the MLS season and was not very good. I think he had one good game that you saw personally against Charlotte. And that's about it. That ball from Estrada to Valencia to get the 1v1 with the goalkeeper, perfect. Absolutely perfect. It was. It was a splitting pass through the defense. And then the first touch from Valencia was classy. He forced the goalkeeper into making the contact. He knew the goalkeeper was going to commit. He's seen how he's been playing over the course of the first 10 minutes. He knows he's going to go to ground. He takes a good touch that lures the goalkeeper in. And you saw... There were no complaints. That one could never get taken away. It was blatant contact, swiped the leg of the goalkeeper. And then Valencia steps up with a really classy, classy penalty. He fooled the goalkeeper. He rolls it into the opposite direction. That takes some real confidence when you're tying and you're about to score the opening goal in the World Cup to step up with that composure. I think he showed the experience that he has under his belt. Yeah, he added a second with a perfect header, really well worked. Uh, Moises Caicedo wins the ball back, drops it to Preciado, the the uh, right back who puts in a perfect cross, and Valencia able to get power on the header and also place it. What, what shocked me, when we talked about it last night, Qatar is a team based off Spanish principles. They want the ball typically. They're going to knock the ball around. They didn't do that for 60 minutes in this game. They just bombed it long, every opportunity. And when you have Felix Torres and especially Piero Encapié, the two center backs for Ecuador, you're just playing into their hands. It's simple for them to win it, keep possession, knock it around. Ecuador took what the game gave them. I think a lot of people are saying, well, Ecuador wasn't that good. Qatar was just awful. Qatar was bad. Nothing can be said to, to balance that one out. They were bad. But you can't penalize Ecuador because they're a young team as well. They took the game and controlled it. If Qatar's going to fall apart in front of them, okay, cool. Ecuador just seemed unbothered by everything. It was really impressive. Sabas Mendez from LAFC, 74 of 76 passing as the number six. He was outstanding. Valencia was outstanding. Yeah, there were, there were only 11 shots in the game, which is the, the joint fewest since 1966. And it felt that way. I'm it sorry. Did. It, it did. felt but, a little boring at times. No, but, but this is the thing. Like, what's Ecuador supposed to do about that? You no. know, like, it's not their fault. It's they had the game under control. Yeah, I think the only thing they may look back on and be frustrated at is that they didn't manage to capitalize on a little bit of the momentum, a little bit of the dominance and find that third goal. That's not through lack of effort. But when you're in a group stage, who knows? It may go to goal difference. It's one of those where you want to try and punish. But I think you hit the nail on the head. The game management for a very young side was extraordinarily mature. They dealt with the physicality because there were some challenges flying in. I think they came from both sides. Don't get me wrong. There are a few pretty big challenges from Ecuador as well. But I thought that they handled the adversity of being in quite a hostile environment at times with, you know, there was a great showing of Ecuador fans, but I still think it was a little hostile at times. And I thought these, you know, young players did a very good job of dealing with a big moment. 
Yeah, the Ecuador fans chanting, uh, queremos cerveza, queremos cerveza, we want beer. That was awesome. That was yeah, great. I also like the uh, Budweiser player of the match. I thought that was quite, uh, hey, at least they've still got that sponsorship deal. Yeah, Budweiser will be fine, e even though Qatar changed the rules on them and said, no, we're not going to sell in the stadiums like we told you we would years ago because that's what we promised. But that didn't really hold up. Um, Bud's going to be okay. Uh, Ecuador's going to be okay as well. They've only lost one time in their last 16 games. That includes draws with Brazil and Argentina. They haven't conceded in seven straight games. They are probably going to advance to the round of 16 with this win. Um, they're in good shape. Qatar, I mean, it can't get much worse for them. And they've still got to play the Netherlands and they've got to play Senegal next. I'm really looking forward to Ecuador and the Netherlands. That's the next game for both of those teams. Netherlands and Senegal tomorrow. We will talk about that here in just a bit. But we got to get into the U.S. and England kicking off Group B. We're less than eight hours away from England and Iran at 8 a.m., USA and Wales at 2 p.m. In between that, you'll have the Netherlands and Senegal. News out of the England camp, it looks like Bukayo Saka is going to start instead of Phil Foden. And it looks like Gareth Southgate is going to go with the 4-3-3 versus the 3-4-3 that turns into a line of five. How do you feel about it? Uh, it's a tough one. I mean, we're a team that's got off to a slow start. I think that Saka's earned a start with the form that he's found himself in. He is an yeah. exciting player. We know that he can perform at this level as well. He's a youngster, but he has international uh, games under his belt. It, it's going to be an interesting game. I am anxious about the back four, including Harry Maguire. He's getting that nod of responsibility. We knew it was going to happen. Don't get yeah, me wrong. You I did. think you did. it was inevitable, but it's still wild to me that a player that has struggled to break into his domestic team is going to be given the nod at the World Cup in an opener in a very, very important game. And I just worry when England has struggled defensively at times they've given up poor mistakes they've conceded and against a side like Iran I think they can punish if we don't stay defensively organized and I think changing the system too often also doesn't give you consistency like you need in a team and why prepare using one formation if you're going to get to game one and switch it up immediately it just doesn't quite make sense the Southgate does this thing where against better teams he'll play three center backs against lesser teams he'll play two and I don't like the signal that sends Do you think but that that's where I'm confused because okay on paper Iran is the weakest team in this group but I don't think they're a weak team. And I think you're going into this underestimating. And perhaps you should start with that back three. You can always adjust and change in the course of the game if things yeah. allow you to. But setting up, and if I'm the opposition I and I see that, that's giving me a chip on my shoulder. That's making me feel, hey, they're underestimating us. They don't think we're going to challenge them. And now you're going to make sure that you make them eat those words, you know? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, and especially in a situation like this where England historically slow starting in tournaments, drew with Sweden to open 2002, barely beat Paraguay in 2006, drew with the U.S. in 2010, lost to Italy in 2014, needed a late goal to beat Tunisia in 2018. They've got to get on the front foot quickly, and I, I think – the back and forth and not quite sure who's going to play here. And is Harry Maguire going to play? Yeah, he's going to play, even though he's not playing at the club level, you know, is Trippier going to start? It looks like he is. I think that's a good call because yeah. he's been great for Newcastle. Um, Jude Bellingham getting into the, the starting lineup. Good. Mason Mount probably going to start. Okay, good. Raheem Sterling hasn't been so good for Chelsea. I'm really curious to see what England looks like early because if they don't handle the counters from Iran, they're going to get caught. Iran can score goals. They're going to sit back and defend, but they can score goals going forward. Kind of the same thing for the U.S. and Wales, because we know Wales is going to line up in their back five. They're going to be consistent with that. What is the U.S. lineup going to look like? There's questions. Who's going to start at top? Jesus Ferreira or Josh Sargent? Sargent's in better form. Ferreira maybe gets the system better. The, the system, capital T, capital S. Greg Berhalter, very strict with the way he wants his team to play. I think the off-the-ball movement Ferreira gets. 
Sargent scoring goals, though, and that's something this team needs desperately. How many minutes can Sergio Dest play? How many minutes can Weston McKinney play? These are some big questions for the U.S. against a Welsh side who hasn't been here since 1958, but they had that miracle run in the Euros in 16. They had a good Euros last time out. Wales can beat the U.S. absolutely. The U.S. can beat Wales absolutely. Huge toss-up game. Yeah, I think it's a huge game, and I don't think Wales should be underestimated. I think there are some people just being around the U.S., of course, that are thinking that this is a game on paper that they should and have to win. Are the U.S. the favorite? I would say so. But at the same time, Wales is a team, like you mentioned, uh, Jason, that haven't been here for a long time. They know that. They've fought to give themselves the right to play in a World Cup, and they're not going to want to come just to participate. I think that Wales is fairly well organized in how they want to play. They've got some big stars and some firepower in the likes of Gareth Bale, in the likes of Reese James. They have a lot of quality in there that can hurt the U.S. And we know that this U.S. team is a very, very young team. And I think they've earned the right to be at this world stage. Don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of quality in the U.S. team. But at the same time, when you are a young team, we've mentioned several times during the show about adversity and understanding how it is to maybe not have things to go your way. And that's where I have some fears for the US. If their heads drop, if Wales come in and bring the game to them early on, instead of allowing them to get onto the front foot. You mentioned big stars. We've got some big stars coming up in the next segment. Two of them are expected. One of them is very unexpected. If you're a soccer fan out there, you'll, you'll get it here in a minute. After about three minutes, we'll be right back on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Atlanta soccer tonight, U.S. Wales tomorrow. We'll get you ready. We'll be back right after this. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Now we're back with more of our look at all of today's matches on Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Let's go! On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Getting ready for the United States and Wales in the World Cup opener. Both of these teams haven't been here in a minute. The U.S. missed in 2018. Wales' first time back since 1958 when they were knocked out by a 17-year-old that you've probably heard of, Pelé. In his World Cup debut, knocked Wales out in the quarterfinals in 1958. We've got a couple legends to talk about each of these teams. And and you can hear these full interviews on the Off the Woodwork folder, on the Odyssey app, but also wherever you get your podcasts. Let's start with the man who has captained the United States men's national team more than anyone else in program history. That's Carlos Bocanegra. Vice President and Technical Director of Atlanta United. This is what he had to say about kind of what's needed for success for this team and what his expectations are for the 2022 World Cup. I think uh, being able to keep their calm when things don't go their way. Um, Tournaments are always tricky. Uh, The game's always tricky. 
the stakes are high, pressure, excitement, energy, you know, emotions. And so if we take a goal early or, you know, if the game plan is not going exactly how we hoped it would be, uh, not losing losing sight of, uh, of really like what they're out there to accomplish, whatever Greg has, you know, laid out as the game plan. Don't veer from that. Don't, you know, don't kind of get nervous and, and just do their own thing. And that's where maybe with the youth, you, you worry a little bit on that side and right. not having guys that have been through it and been in a major tournament. Uh, that would be one of my concerns, but you know, on the other side, they also have guys playing at very big clubs and playing in pressure situations uh, different than our generation uh, that we had guys playing in Europe and playing at bigger clubs, but maybe not at the level that they are now. So um, that could also be a benefit for them that they are in these pressure situations and high stakes week in and week out. So um, maybe they can use that to their advantage. What are your expectations for this tournament for the U.S.? I think we need to get out of the group stage, and I, I hope we can win that, that second round game. After that, I think the confidence goes, you stay injury-free, you don't pick up the the yellow where you have a suspension to a, an important player like a, a Tyler Adams or, or something right there, a key cog in the middle. Um, but it's tricky. You're gonna need you're gonna need to count on a lot of guys, and uh, you know fitness won't be an issue for the guys. Uh, but it's getting a couple breaks, uh, make, making sure we're not getting an injury uh, or or the yellow card accumulation that takes a key member out. So I'm with Carlos in that the expectation should be to get out of the group, I think, for the United States. It's probably the same expectation that Wales has as well, and probably the same expectation that Iran has as well. You know, do you think all of those teams having that expectation, do you think that's fair in Group B? Yeah, I think that's what makes it a really unique group, and we've talked about it a little before. I think in a lot of the other groups, there's everyone wants to get out. Don't get me wrong. No one comes to a World Cup and is like, oh, let's just lay down and die. We're going to lose every game. But at the same Very time, few teams. there's always a couple who are yeah, like, yeah, we're happy to be Arabia there. I might be just a little happy to be there. They're happy know? to be there. Definitely happy to be there. <laughs> That's going to be an interesting game. But um, I think that it's one of those where everyone back home has expectation. I like to listen to podcasts from fans from all the nations and the Iranian fans really think that this is their year to get out the group. They feel like they have a brilliant team and they feel like that they belong and they think they're the best representation for Asia. You look yeah. at Wales and number one, let's be honest, there's a lot of uh, tension between the English and the Welsh, which makes the Welsh even more determined to make the upset and get through. But they also have a lot of quality there and they didn't wait this long, nearly 70 years. I think if I do the math off the top of my head, 70 years to just come and get knocked out. And then with the USA as well, you've had that heartbreak of not qualifying last year. Now the nation's behind you and feeling even more invested in the World Cup than ever before because, you know, soccer's growing, the potential is growing. And I think like Carlos said, when you have players playing in Europe with at the highest level, not just like competing in Europe, but playing at the highest level, thriving in Europe, and also MLS, which has improved so much since then as well as a power you have a very good, good squad that, yes, is young, but has a lot of talent. And I think that every team has the right to believe they belong there. And that's why, as an English fan, I'm kind of trying to mute expectation a little bit until we get this game at 8 a.m. today out the way. Because who knows? If Iran unsettle England, if they get a draw or even nick a late goal and end up leaving England with no points, it could be a very large mountain for the favorites to climb. So I think that this is what makes the group so interesting. Yeah, this is a fascinating group. And every team has a shot. I think everybody's kind of conceded, oh, England will go through no problem. But everybody wants to take points from England. And I don't see England winning three games. I, I just, I don't see that in this group. I, I think it's too competitive. But if they only win one game, are they going to have enough to get through? Is this going to be one of those groups that's really tight on four or five points for everybody? We're going to find out tomorrow, and I think have a pretty good sense at the end of the day how competitive this group will be. Wales isn't here to make up the numbers. Wales expects to get out of the group. They expect to win tomorrow. Had a chance to talk to former Welsh international and current Atlanta United 2 manager Jack Collison kind of about how Wales would set up and approach this. Jack had some interesting thoughts on it. I really share one of them and we'll get into it after we hear from jack Collison. so for me it's, it's really interesting how rob page is going to approach this first game 
obviously he knows the group so well. He knows all the young players, obviously stepping up from the under 21s. Um, so for me, does he does he play a, a more compact game and, and try and use the pace of the likes of Dan James and Gareth Bale getting in behind? Or does he make a bit of a statement and go for Kiefer Moore? Uh, yeah, your old school number nine, big target man, causes trouble in the box. And, and for me, Kiefer Moore's been fantastic for Wales and he's having a pretty good season at Bournemouth too. So for me, he's, he's one to watch and I think he's going to be a real important, important player because just with his sheer physical presence, at times he's going to be occupying two, three defenders possibly. And then that allows for you like to Bale, Ramsey, Dan James to find this space and 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 use that space then to try and cause havoc. Kiefer Moore worries me because something that the U.S. typically has going into these kinds of games is a size advantage at the back. And you have Walker Zimmerman, who is great in the air, physical, improving, I think, every season with the ball at his feet. And he's, he's good enough with the ball at his feet in Greg Berhalter's system. I'm not as concerned about that as some people are. His advantage is in the air. His advantage is his physicality. If Wales starts Kiefer Moore, and I think they should, mm -hmm. it negates that. And what he does is the old school number nine, yeah, it gets overused sometimes, but he will basically be a gravitational pull on the field. He'll pull defenders to him. And when you already have somebody like Gareth Bale, who is also going to pull defenders to them, a lot of space hang out for everyone him, else. it creates space. Now, we have heard so far that Wales is not going to be at full strength. Joe Allen probably not going to make it, according to Wales manager Rob Page. I do wonder if they get a little more conservative, drop another midfielder instead of it being a 5-2-3 that turns into a 3-4-3. Is it more of a 5-3-2? That turns it into more of a 3-5-2. It doesn't sound like a big difference. I think Wales, looking at their schedule, thinking if they get anything out of this U.S. game, they're cool. They don't have to risk it big. They are going to feel like they can beat Iran. And they're going to feel like, okay, go into game three with a chance to advance against England. They're going to be happy with it. I think they should start key for more and give them that long ball outlet. I think you're right, Jason, because like you mentioned, with that long ball outlet, it gives you a way to relieve pressure without forcing a turnover all the time because you have a realistic competition to be able to hold that ball up. All you're looking for is holding the ball up and then bringing in potentially your more skillful players. And that's not said disrespectfully to Moore, but he's going to be more of the physical presence. Mm -hmm. If he can get that knockdown, if he's driving players onto him, you find a knockdown onto a player with a little bit more quality, then you can really test the U.S. when they have space against them. And I think that you're right when you look at Wales's perspective, right? Because as we know, the English v. Welsh game is going to be so loaded emotionally that anything can happen. And I think if they go into that one with a realistic opportunity that all they need is a draw against England, then they'll feel like they can definitely grind that one out as well. So I think it'd be interesting to see how they line up and finding that balance of conservatism versus wanting to take the game to the US a little bit with it being the opener. But I think they don't want to be caught off guard against the US because you've allowed the US a chance to dominate in the midfield with the quality that they have in moments on the field, then you could really get punished. Now I need you to rank England's rivalries for me because we have this conversation all the time when we talk about sec football, I'm a Georgia fan and Georgia has like five rivals and everybody kind of has it different based on, you know, what teams they were doing against them. Like if they went to UGA, Tennessee beat us all mm -hmm. the time when I was at UGA, I hate Tennessee. I hate Tennessee more than any of Georgia's other rivals. Kind of the old school Georgia fans might hate Tech more, hate Auburn more, hate Florida more. For you, England has natural rivals, obviously, within you know <laughs> the island. And I know Scotland is very high up there. The U.S. is a rival, too. Like, in this group, which game is the bigger rivalry for England? Yeah. Is it the U.S. or is it Wales? It's a really tough one, right? And I think the most ironic thing about the inter united kingdom great britain rivalries is the fact that then when it comes to an olympics they play together so it's like a very <laughs> strange dynamic and i know that's very difficult to understand for me being based in the us obviously my pride is on the line when it comes to the england us game you know very well that i had to experience watching a women's 
World mm-hmm. Cup semi-final between England and the US, which didn't go the way I wanted. And that was a crazy experience having watched that in a bar full of Americans. So <laughs> for me personally, I would take dropping points against Wales versus dropping points against the US for pride. Okay. But when it comes to the nation back home, I think that the uh, geographical closeness to the Welsh might be a, a little bit more passionate. And I think that the bragging rights of the Welsh may be a little higher. But then I have people that would say that uh, uh, an intolerable American excitement would probably bother a lot of English people back home as well. Now, coming into this segment, I mentioned three big stars. You've heard from two and, and you know, fairly common to have Carlos Bocanegra, Jack Collison, both based in Atlanta, played for the U.S., played for Wales. Kind of obvious picks. The not so obvious pick to add a little bit of extra to this conversation is a guy who had a really big day for the Atlanta Falcons, young safety Jalen Hawkins. He's a big soccer fan. I didn't know that until I had a chance to talk to Jalen. But I ask him because young players becoming leaders has been a little bit of a trend over these past couple of days. In our conversations, in other sports too, Tyler Adams wearing the armband for the U.S., Jalen Hawkins was cited by his defensive coach, Dean Pease, about becoming more of a leader in his third season. So I ask him, you know, what is it about young players becoming leaders? What's that like? This is what Jalen Hawkins had to say. Um, I would just say, you know, like, for one, you know, you got to do it every text to help your team out, you know, and I think that it comes organically, you know, first you got to do it by example, you know, you can't just come out there and, you know, not prove yourself and just talk all this and, you know, this grown man playing out there, you know, you guys are all grown individuals. So like, you know, you, you obviously got to lead by example first so they can, so like, you know, people can respect you. You got to, you know, you got to gain respect from coaches, players, everybody. And then once you gain people's respect, you know, when you, when you lead, you know, you got to follow as well. You know, like there are leaders before me, you know, when I first came into the league, um, you know, like Carter Allen, Eric, Ron, you know, where I, I learned certain things and I'm still learning, you know, I still learn from everybody because we are, we have a lot of leaders on our team. I just want players as a leader, especially on the defense. And I still learn from them, you know, and the, and the main thing is just holding yourself accountable and all. And I think he hit the nail on the head when it comes to leadership and what the U.S. is looking for in particular. We spoke about Tyler Adams wearing the armband, a young guy, but who is performing so well that he deserves that nod and he's gravitated respect from his coaches, from his teammates. But it doesn't take an armband. And I think sometimes we put so much emphasis on who is wearing the captain's armband. And I've been in that scenario as a player where you look up to the person wearing the armband and perhaps they have that role in communicating with the referees, which is going to be huge in this World Cup when it comes to the strictness of the refereeing. You're going to have to have good conversations with the referees and make sure you're showing that level of respect. But other than that, it shouldn't take away from individuals on the pitch that have to be leaders as well. If Matt Turner is starting in goal, he is vital to be a leader back there because he needs to be vocal, he needs to be communicating, he needs to be instilling confidence. A guy like Christian Pulisic has to be a leader. He's playing in Europe right now. He's struggling a little bit. Let's be honest, he hasn't had as much of an impact as he would like in the Premier League. But when you play in the Premier League, those youngsters around you still have a lot of respect for you. I think the most important thing is to focus on your game first because you can inspire leadership through the way you're performing and making sure you hit all of your goals. And then it's about the communication. And I think actual real communication speaking on the field is going to be vital for the US and for England as well. Yeah, there were two things that Jalen said that that stuck with me. One, you got to hold yourself accountable. And Tyler Adams, Christian Pulisic, Matt Turner, Walker Zimmerman, Weston McKinney, I think those are all leaders within this U.S. team. They all have to hold themselves accountable before they hold anybody else accountable. But they also have to learn from one another. You know, Tyler Adams will have the armband. He's not the only leader. He's got to learn from experiences that Walker Zimmerman has had. He's got to learn from experiences that Christian Pulisic has had and vice versa. It's important to have a team of leaders. It's so critical, I think, at this tournament because, look, there's probably going to be a game where Tyler Adams might be out on yellow card accumulation. Somebody else is going to have to step up. Weston McKinney provides a lot of emotional leadership. He's going to have to step up in moments. 
it's key. England will have to go through it as well. Wales, Iran, same thing. Leadership is so key at the World Cup. Last segment coming up. We're going to get you ready. Go ahead and start counting your juice boxes. We didn't do so well on our picks last night. We're going to go through the juice box numbers, give you some potential plays. We're also going to talk Netherlands and Senegal, other World Cup news coming up after this Atlanta soccer tonight. We'll be back in three minutes on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Hey, everyone. Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us, and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app. And Jason Longshore has it all covered with Atlanta Soccer Tonight. On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Welcome back, Atlanta Soccer Tonight. Late night soccer talk on 92.9, the game and the Odyssey app. We've got one more game that we haven't talked about on Monday. It's the middle game, the 11 a.m. kickoff. Netherlands and Senegal complete the action in Group A. Senegal without Sadio Mane, one of the best players in the world, missing the tournament due to injury. That is a recurring theme for this World Cup. But the Netherlands, Jess, it's a team that I think you always see that name come up and you think, okay, they can make a deep run. They didn't qualify in 18, and they're not scoring a whole lot of goals right now. Memphis Depay not playing regularly with Barcelona, not 100% at the moment. Yeah, and I think they announced that Depay would miss uh, tomorrow's match. I'm pretty sure that he is not going to be involved in that one, which is already a huge loss when you're losing who was your top scorer and goals were coming few and far in between anyway. They are unbeaten since the Euros 2020, 2021, realistically, we'll call it. But I think it's a team that has always kind of struggled in recent years to really live up to the expectation. You've got the big names, you've got the Van Dykes, you've got, you know, uh, Frankie de Jong, you've got some very good quality players, but they're coming towards that twilight of their career as well at times. And I think that this is a Netherlands side that is expected to win the group, but I wouldn't write off Senegal as a underdog, definitely coming in, but a team that can hurt you, that knows how to defend. I think it's six clean sheets in the last eight games for Senegal, which will build them in uh, some confidence. But obviously the loss of your big star in Mane is going to be a, a huge issue not just on the field but in the locker room as well because he's a leader he's a guy they look up to a role model a great guy I don't think you can speak highly enough of how humble he is how grounding he is and when you lose that presence and leadership which has been our key theme throughout today's show it it can really hurt you on the field as well yeah look I think you saw it in the game today Qatar lacked leadership they they looked frazzled. They they struggled, I think, to keep with the game plan. They, they got rattled and started committing some reckless fouls. Ecuador, leadership all over the place. Even a young team, doesn't matter. They had leadership. They had composure. The Netherlands should handle their business. They are by far the favorite in this game. Minus 160. Uh, Senegal, plus 500. The draw, plus 270. If Senegal gets anything out of it, I think it's my Lassar. Watford is going to have to have a whale of a match. He's going to have to really be Sadio Mane. Good player. Really good player. Not at that level. I don't know if he can elevate his game to that level. Without Memphis Depay for the Netherlands, Cody Gakpo becomes really important in my opinion. Young, up-and-coming player from Ajax. I like him. If you want a prop bet for your juice boxes, I like him as a goal scorer in this game at plus 230. Let's go ahead and and jump over to a game that I know you're going to be really into in, you know, about seven hours. I got to get that alarm set. (laughs) Yeah, not too long from now. Some people are going to be listening to this after and they're going to be like, what? England and Iran. This is a fascinating one to me because of generally how slow England starts tournaments. The odds makers, they don't really look at the history in this. England is a minus 320. That's a big favorite. A Iran. Yeah, that's huge. Iran plus 950 
as the underdog to win. The draw is plus 390. I would take a draw, honestly, in terms of not for me, but I would be gutted if we you wouldn't draw. be happy with a draw. But no. if you had juice boxes, if I had juice boxes, I think a draw based on England's history and honestly, based on the way we played in the Nations League, we're not coming into this with any momentum. When we talk about momentum, England has got zilch, you know, and I think that it's going to be a struggle to get things up and running again. So if you're looking for a, an odd an odd one that maybe doesn't sound right on paper, but I think it could be a tie. Yeah, you want a you want a potential juice box play here on a goal scorer, uh, Mehdi Taremi from Iran, in maybe as good a form as any attacker in the world coming into this tournament. He has been lighting it up with Porto. He's a plus six hundred. You know, I can see Iran getting a goal on the break. I absolutely can. I think England wins it. I think they win it somewhat comfortably on the scoreboard maybe not in the way the game flows out feels like a 3-1 where the third goal comes a little late and maybe you have to sweat it a little bit Taremi is going to be a problem he's going to score in this tournament he might score multiple goals in this tournament he can hit you on the break and and starter Osmond as well up top this is a really good Iranian team in the attack but but Jess I mean this is one of the unknowns in this this group is we know what's going on in Iran right now. Some of the players are speaking about it, which mm-hmm. it's incredibly brave to mm-hmm. do that. Is that going to be something that galvanizes this team to play for their people? Or is it going to be a distraction? We really won't know until we get into these games. Yeah. Uh, first, I think those Iranian players that came out to speak about it, that almost risked not being able to even play in the World Cup, deserve incredible plaudits. I think that as a woman in sports and a woman in general, that conduces a lot of respect. You know, you gain a lot of respect for players that are able to do that and use their platform for good to talk against, you know, what's happening in their nation. And I think the eyes of the world are on it. I know that England's looking at wearing um, bands as well during the game that FIFA hasn't approved but i think that's a good look from england as well right the the one love captain's armband uh england and i think denmark have both said that they're gonna wear it and fifa has said it's not allowed and reportedly and and this would be one of the dumbest things that could happen in this tournament and there's probably going to be dumb things that happen during this world cup if they yellow card harry kane for a piece of equipment that's not allowed the outcry and and it would be absolutely well deserved and that's going to be what what really is awful about that is it's going to come back on the referee and it's not mm-hmm. really the referee's fault if they're following the instructions but right. it's a really tough dynamic for the referee as well to have to make that call and if you really get a yellow card for that it I hope Twitter still exists to uh, read up on some of that by then. <laughs> that might break Twitter. That might break the bird app. Um, and it would be worth it in that case for the outcry of, of something like that. I, I hope it doesn't come down to that, but there, there's going to be stupid things that happen in this tournament like that. And that's been something that's been threatened. I don't think it actually goes forward because it just, it would look horrible. Um, and there's also talk about England taking a knee before kickoff as well. That has been talked about. I think Gareth Southgate has said that is going to happen. Um, I would imagine that the U.S. will have some sort of display as well. Um, they have been, I think, very outspoken. And that has been with with words and press conferences, but also with having the rainbow crest and, and logo at their training site in Qatar. You know, they're not shying away from this. Um, and this is a very diverse U.S. team. Uh, if you have not seen the kind of good luck video that was posted from the, the team's family members that are back home and sent to the players today and posted on the U.S. soccer social media, amazing video. And it just displays the diversity of this team. Yeah, honestly, that had me rooting for the U.S. Just sitting down watching it, it almost made me emotional seeing the background of all these players and the different languages spoken, the different races that are being represented. The beautiful thing about this U.S. men's national team is that it truly looks like a team that represents the population. And also often we're having conversations about that not happening because of the way that soccer is. Let's be honest, the pay-to-play model doesn't usually favor um, diversity. 
But here we have it at the highest level and the US men's national team has nailed it with representing the nation. And I think about it from a parent's perspective now and what an amazing thing for young kids to be able to look and see a player that looks like them on the pitch or to look and see a story that looks like them in terms of being a first generation immigrant or things like that. And there's no better way to inspire the next generation than having that representation on the field in front of you. In 2014, I helped start a program for soccer in the streets at the John Hope Community Center uh, on the west side of Atlanta. And it was during the World Cup. And one of the kids didn't really want to play, was kind of struggling in the game. I think he wanted to play, but he was getting frustrated because he wasn't doing well. And another player was doing really well. And he, he wanted to quit. And he said, don't you know that black kids don't play soccer? That's what he told me. I pulled up a picture on my phone of the U.S. team that I had either just played or was about to play. And I pointed out Josie Altador and maybe one or two other players in that team. Um, this year's team, a record 12 black players in the U.S. squad. It's, it's very, very cool to see this team truly represent this country. Um, I'm very interested to see kind of how they handle all the other stuff that goes into tomorrow. The actual game on the field, the U.S. is the favorite, according to the juice box purveyors out there, plus 135, Wales plus 230, draw plus 200. That draw number, if you're looking for a safe play, that kind of feels like it for me. Um, one thing that did surprise me in this, Christian Pulisic is not the number one or two or three favorite in terms of scoring a goal for the U.S. He's a plus 330. I think if the U.S. is going to have good days in this tournament, it's going to be because Christian Pulisic steps up and carries them in the attack. He has to. He's the man. Yeah, 100%. And I think that I would be running to play some juice boxes on that because that's some pretty good odds in terms of Pulisic scoring a goal in a game against you know an opponent that the U.S. should be finding the back of the net. And I do agree with you, Jason. I think that a draw wouldn't be a bad result, but I do think both teams get off the mark in this one because I think that the U.S. defensively has some questions to be asked. We know that you've gone through a lot of centre-backs, a lot of different pairings, a lot of, you know, inexperience in terms of playing together at times in that back line, which makes me feel like Wales may be able to capitalise on that. But you've got enough firepower to score goals. And like you say, Pulisic's got to come up and lead this team again. Yeah. Not wearing the armband, but leading the team with his experience, with his knowledge of the game, and with his understanding of facing pressure at the highest level. Yeah, he is the best player that the U.S. has, and he has to play like it. Brendan Aronson is also in incredible mm -hmm. form, and he's a plus 440 on the anytime goal scorer list. I kind of like that as well. I'd love to see Brendan Aronson start centrally in the midfield. I really would. That's where he's been playing for Leeds. I think he can have a huge impact there. I'd like to see Tim Ream start in the back as well. I'd like to see on the left side, Anthony Robinson and Tim Ream playing together at the club level, have that instant chemistry, start them on the left half of the back line. We'll see what Greg Berhalter does. That lineup's going to come out about 1 o'clock or so. I'll be on with Andy and Randy at 1.20 to break that down tomorrow on 92.9 The Game and the Odyssey app. Other World Cup news as we're running out of time. Romelu Lukaku will miss Belgium's first two games. Not really a surprise here. He's had an ongoing thigh problem. This isn't one of the injuries that this World Cup has created. He hasn't played very much for Inter since his move back to Serie A. 90 minutes just one time in Serie A. He has not played since October 29th. He strained his thigh in training. That's going to hurt Belgium. They are getting goals from other places, but that puts a little more pressure, Jess, on Eden Hazard to be the Eden Hazard of old. Yeah, and that's where you mention it. Eden Hazard of old, but... He's not the old Eden Hazard. He's four years older than, you know, the last World Cup. So I think that's a really tough dynamic to put in. And you say out for two games, but how ready is he going to be right. in the third game when he's only played 90 minutes once? So uh, I think Belgium, golden generation, I don't think you can call it that now. I think it's in the twilight years of where they're going to be. And unfortunately, it seems like that's stacking up against them as they put more pressure on older players that maybe aren't in the prime anymore. That gold is a little dull now for Belgium. 
And this has got to be a big tournament for them. This is it for this generation. They do have some young players coming through, but this is it for this generation. And they have a favorable draw. They should get into a good spot in the knockout rounds. We'll see if they can do it without Lukaku for the first two games. If you're looking for a place to watch at watch the U.S.-Wales game tomorrow, Fado and Buckhead is your spot. Atlanta United watch party is there for that game. We'll be with you. Maybe Jess will be with us as too. I don't think that's completely confirmed yet. On Friday for U.S. England at Wild Heaven West End. Go ahead and put that down on your calendar. That's going to be a massive, massive party. If you don't get a chance to listen to us live, you can always download the podcast on the Odyssey app, also on the Off the Woodwork folder, wherever you get your podcast. We're going to be back tomorrow after the Atlanta Hawks game, breaking down U.S. Wales, breaking down England, Iran, looking ahead to Argentina debuting on Tuesday. Big day in the World Cup tomorrow. Thanks for hanging out with us tonight. Atlanta soccer tonight. We'll be back in about 24 two hours or so. We'll see you then. Have a good rest of the night, everybody. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey everyone, Boomer Esiason here. The NFL Draft is behind us and your favorite team is now gearing up for week number one. The free Odyssey app puts you right in the middle of the pro football conversation with the biggest sports radio stations from across the country. The local voices who know your team the best, giving you their unfiltered takes on the current state of your squad. It's always football season right here on the free Odyssey app.